end of November is here, and with it, the beginning of another installment of Charlottesville Community Engagement. Fans of vinyl records may appreciate that we are now past 333 days of the year, a numeric connection that is more of an anecdote than a fact, or perhaps an ironic observation? Would it were, we could all go back through to high school English to be graded on that conversation. I'm Sean Tubbs, spinning right round, baby, right round. On today's program, after facing a legal challenge, the city of Charlottesville will have to hold another public hearing before readopting its comprehensive plan. The latest updates on legislation filed for the 2023 General Assembly, including one proposal to create a Virginia Commission on Social Media, and the three candidates to be the next Charlottesville police chief, appear at a city forum. In today's first Patreon-fueled shout-out, the friends of Charlottesville Downtown and the Charlottesville Albemarle Convention and Visitors Bureau want you to visit the Central Place on the Downtown Mall Saturdays and Sundays in December for Magic on the Mall from noon to 4 p.m. Festive family activities include selfies with Santa on Saturdays, music on the mall at 2 p.m. on Sundays, and the Peppermint Trail, where you can find all sorts of treats ride the holly trolley, or go on a magical scavenger hunt to find the elves in Seaville by starting at Charlottesville Insider or downloading the guide online. For a full list of participating businesses and locations and activities, visit friendsofseaville.org. Those with criticisms of Charlottesville's new comprehensive plan will have another opportunity to go on the record about the long-range planning document, as will those who are in support. But a joint public hearing scheduled for December 13, 2022 is largely a formality related to a legal challenge. Here's a section from the legal notice of the November 29, 2022 Daily Progress. On that same day, following the public hearing, it is the intention of the city that the Planning Commission will vote on the proposed action. City Council's vote would take place at a later City Council meeting agenda, following receipt of the Commission's recommendation. In late August, Charlottesville Circuit Court Judge Claude Worrell threw out three out of four counts of a lawsuit filed by an anonymous group of landowners seeking to overturn the plan's adoption. However, Worrell ruled the city may not have provided enough notice that council would take a vote at the November 15, 2022 meeting. In August, Worrell dismissed claims that the plaintiffs had standing to challenge the plan's validity on the basis of insufficient consideration of transportation impacts, the role of manufactured housing, and whether the plan was too specific in nature. The new advertisement also further explains what changes are being made between the 2013 plan and the new plan, which was developed as part of the Seaville Plans Together initiative. All of the public hearings for the comprehensive plan so far were conducted online, but the December 13th meeting will be a hybrid meeting. The new comprehensive plan is intended to make it easier to build housing in the city. A key component is a future land use map which grants more residential density across the entire city and has set in motion the creation of a new zoning ordinance intended to reduce the role that City Council and the Planning Commission have in the land use process. 
Since adoption of the plan, Council has approved rezonings that are consistent with the vision of a denser Charlottesville. You can see a list of all of those in a link in the newsletter. Questions are out to the city of Charlottesville about what this all means and what it might mean for the plan, and those responses will be in the next edition of the newsletter and podcast. There are now seven weeks until the General Assembly convenes for the 2023 session. There are still plenty of bills carried over from the 2022 sessions, but new legislation is coming in every day. Here's another roundup. Delegate Tim Anderson has filed for a constitutional amendment to repeal its now obsolete ban on same-sex marriage. There's an article about that in Virginia Scope. Delegate Jason Ballard wants a law that allows for cost recovery from wildfires to be extended to negligent property owners, rather than those who deliberately set fires. A 20-person commission on social media would be established if legislation by Delegate Wendy Goditis passes both houses. The group would evaluate risks and harms to community members. Delegate Ren Williams has a bill that would require regulation of derricks and cranes to prevent hazardous rotations of loads. Delegate Lee Ware has filed for a study of funding for constitutional officers who are elected by local voters. Senator Amanda Chase has filed legislation to prohibit gender transition procedures for people under the age of 18. Chase also wants to prevent the state from requiring COVID vaccines and also has another bill that would allow doctors to provide treatments to COVID such as ivermectin and hydroxychloroquine. There will be more new legislation tomorrow. There will also be a story on yesterday's legislative forum at the University of Virginia attended by both Delegate Sally Hudson and Senator Cree Deeds. Hudson is challenging Deeds in the June 20th, 2023 primary. There's a link in the newsletter for a story with more background on that. You're listening to Charlottesville Community Engagement. And in today's second subscriber-supported shout-out, David Toscano spent three terms on city council from 1990 to 2002 before winning election to the House of Delegates in 2005. He retired after 2019 and turned to writing about politics. His latest book is Bellwether, Virginia's Political Transformation, 2006 to 2020. Tomorrow at 6 p.m., Toscano will appear at the Center at Belvedere to read from the book and have a discussion. The event is free and open to the public, but a reservation is requested. You can reserve your spot by clicking on a link in the newsletter. On Monday, three finalists for the position of Charlottesville Police Chief appeared at a forum at the Carver Recreation Center that was an event of the Police Civilian Oversight Board. Here's Interim City Manager Michael C. Rogers. The PCOB, though a new element in our government, is an important component in assuring there is transparency and accountability in the execution of police services in our community. The finalists are Latroy Tito Durrett, acting Charlottesville Police Chief, Michael Cotchis, Chief of Police in the town of Warrington, and Easton L. McDonald, Major Division Commander in the Loudoun County Sheriff's Department. 
Rogers said the questions for the two-hour event came from the public. The event was moderated by PCOB Chair William Mendez. We have reviewed a substantial number of questions and selected a number of them intended to cover as wide a range of subjects of concern to the community as possible. But before that, the candidates had the chance to introduce themselves. The following are select quotes. A reminder, you can watch the whole event on the city's website. Tito Durrett went first. I chose to, to do this career 30 years ago. Um, started off in high school because a police officer took a special interest in me um, to change who I was as an individual. Durrett explained his early days in the Charlottesville Police Department, where he has been for his entire career. He moved to Charlottesville when he was 15, and he calls the city home. And the reason why I'm doing this is because I care. I care about this community. I care about um, the interactions that we're having with our community and, and trying to go through a healing process for this community um, because we all have had uh, trauma. Um, and, and I want to be a part of that healing process. I want to be a part of the moving our department forward. Then Major McDonald had his introduction. He said he was encouraged to see so many people attending the forum. I have spent 25 years in law enforcement from the very beginning in juvenile detention, corrections, and in patrol with Loudoun County Sheriff's Office. What attracts me to Charlottesville is what Charlottesville was advertising. You were advertising for 21st century policing, uh, a community engagement, someone that was going to listen to the community, work with the community, and at the same time arrange for training and education within the department and be supportive of that. Warrington Police Chief Michael Cochis went last and also noted the attendance at the forum. Warrington Police Chief Michael Cochis went last and also noted the attendance at the forum. He said he is a native of New Jersey that has been in Virginia for a while. I spent most of my career with the Alexandria, Virginia Police Department. And in 2020, I was appointed Chief of Police for the Warrington Police Department. That was February of 2020. A month later, the pandemic hit and we had to kind of figure things out. And then shortly after that was the murder of George Floyd. And what I saw after that time, I thought was a turning point in this profession. We realized quickly engaging our community wasn't good enough anymore and that we really needed to start involving the community in what we do. And we've done just that in the town of Warrington. Now, you're listening to the podcast version of the newsletter, which contains a longer series of answers. You're going to hear that just run right now. And in a minute, we're going to get to the end of the podcast. But for now, take a listen to the answers, selected bits from the first three or four questions from the forum. Uh, as chief of police, what motivates you con to continue your daily activities enforcing the rule of law? It's not just enforcing the rule of law. It's building connections with the community, because if you don't build those connections with that community, the rule of law is just that. Our citizens demand to be heard. Our citizens demand action. Um, and this community has a way of, of, of wanting to be policed, and we have to be attuned to that. We, we have to recognize we failed. At some point in 2017, we failed. 
now we have to change that perception. For me, I am uh, a true believer in the need for police, which is to stop crime. That's the role for law enforcement, is to stop crime. How you do that is where police departments get into trouble, and that is involving the community in the crime that they are affected by. There's nothing better than helping people, uh, and that's to, to be a professional and a paid professional to be able to do that is fantastic. As a chief, you get to direct how that policy can take place. And after 25 years of doing this, I have ideas that I would like to share in policing. Some of them are new ideas, some of them are, are old, but you get to direct the way that you would like to move forward with your police department. So similar to what Major McDonald said, I do believe this is, law enforcement is a noble profession. I also recognize that our profession carries some baggage and that we have to understand the history of our profession and where we've been and that we haven't always been on the right side of, the, of justice, if you will. There's a lot of good our profession does, but we don't do a good enough job of teaching our history to our young officers. And I, I've said this earlier, there's gonna, we're gonna be hiring officers that aren't gonna remember 2017. And shame on us if we don't teach them. And shame on us if we don't explain and learn from that. Okay, uh, first question two, we'll start with uh, Major McDonald. <clears throat> what are your views on community neighborhood policing? Can you be specific about how you would implement such programs in Charlottesville? So I spent a part of my career in community policing and to define what it is, what it means. As, an off, as a community policing officer, I was assigned to a neighborhood. I wasn't tied to a radio where I had to respond to 911 calls, which allowed me to walk in, an, in the community. Uh, I, I give you an example of community policing and what the effect can do. I noticed two boys in that community that were always walking around on foot uh, in the community. And one of them, I, I stopped one day and I said to him, hey, uh, do you, do you play football? He said, no, I've never played football. Uh, I think he was from Ghana, and he had moved to the area. And I got to know him. I got him to go. I said, listen, you should go to the local high school, your high school, and you should try out for football, come to this camp. He came to the camp. As soon as he took off running, the coach looked at him, and he said, who's that kid? I said, coach, he goes to your school. It's a football camp we used to work in the community with kids. Uh, that kid ended up uh, getting a scholarship to play football uh, at Shepherd University. Community policing is speaking to the grandmother that's having problems with her grandson or he's hanging around the wrong company and her being able to speak to that community policing officer and give her advice. Chief Coaches? You cannot be effective in community policing if your community doesn't trust you. So that's where you need to begin. In order to build trust within a community, you have to build relationships. And in order to build relationships, you have to be present. And when I mean being present, it's not during the worst of times. It's present when in, during non-law enforcement activities, okay? You've got to build meaningful relationships. I kind of look at policing as a, a, a co-production with the community, okay? 
Doesn't matter, just because you have coffee with a cop, we'll go to a school and read books. That doesn't mean you're, you're building relationships with the community, it has to be purposeful. You have to understand why you're there and, and what different programs you're doing. Now we've done just that, just that in the town of Warrington. We've built a community action team where we involved community stakeholders, such as the president of the NAACP, faith leaders, business owners, residents, and even a high school student. If you want to have police reform and understand what we do and us understand the community, you have to have thoughtful conversations with thoughtful people sitting at the table and dig deep into our policies. Chief Durrett. I use community policing as one word, and that's partnership. Community policing is getting out and connecting with communities throughout the city, building that trust, reestablishing that, because we've lost that here in Charlottesville. I know that. Chief Kotchis, uh, what do you think about the Marcus Alert 988 system? And how do you think it could be improved? Great question. So uh, we were one of the pilot programs for the Marcus Alert. So the Marcus Alert system is basically a, it's not 911, it's a, it's a, it's a, it calls get diverted at the communication center, okay? And the call will then, if it's a mental health so, uh, call that the, uh, that a team can go out not, that's, that's not law enforcement related and address folks who are in crisis. We have found some initial challenges with it just because these are big decisions that dispatchers are making when the calls come in, okay? So you still have to work, while the idea is to divert these calls, we still have to, we still, there are still times where police are gonna have to respond, okay? What we have seen, uh, the success of the program, is really with the follow-up. Chief Durrett. Marcus Alert. We all have heard that law enforcement should get out of the business of mental health. I somewhat agree with that. Um, but this is a way where we can partner with our first responders, rescue and mental health workers um, to establish that. We need more health, uh, mental health clinicians. Uh, we need more bed space. Um, to, to help um, when people are in crisis. It's not just the police, um, because more often than not, it could cause more trauma. It could cause more hurt. I recognize that. Um, and I think having a co-response team will help back that response down from, from the law enforcement aspect of it and let those conditions do their job. Major McDonald? So if you dial on your phone 988, you will automatically be sent to a dispatch and that could be for this is for behavioral health so if you have someone that is saying uh, I feel depressed and I want to hurt myself and you and you were to get law enforcement that would be 911 the police would come we would talk to the person uh, try to find out if if there was a threat to themselves or others do they need to be transported to the hospital or not uh, what Marcus alert allows is for the citizens, the community, to dial 988, which works now, and they, the people on that phone, the dispatchers, will decide what level of service you should receive. So police officers, if I'm correct, will be coming on level three and four, where there's a threat or there's some sort of harm. But if you call and say, hey, uh, I'm calling because my, my son or my mother or my father is feeling depressed right now, can you send someone over? you will get a mobile crisis response unit. Uh, in, in, in my county, there are 
response units that will respond to the house and they will attempt to stabilize the individual. And when I say stabilize, that means speaking to them. Maybe they're off their medication. Uh, they will deal with them from the behavioral aspect of the problem. And that is what is needed uh, for the Marcus Alert. Now, if there is violence or the threat of violence, that is where law enforcement will come. They will render the place safe and then allow mental health therapists to do their job. Okay, uh, Chief Durant, uh, you're up again. As Chief of Police, uh, how will you engage the Charlottesville community residents to be collaborative and engaging partners in keeping the city safe, <clears throat> protecting its residents, while maintaining public trust? We have to get out there and, and have relationships and communication skills. We gotta get out and talk to our neighbors, right? And our neighbors are our citizens, building that trust. You have to get out, have difficult conversations, have difficult conversations. Uh, also being vulnerable. We've made mistakes. Owning those mistakes, showing our vulnerability. Major McDonald. So one of the things that I plan to do if, if I'm fortunate to be selected is to teach you my job. In 1988, I used to attend a uh, college festival at Virginia Beach. I want to say it was, yep, Labor Day used to take place in Virginia Beach in 1988. I remember going to that event and there was a police officer in riot gear on the boardwalk. This was 1988. And I remember how I felt when I saw that officer. Here's a group of college kids. Why are you here in riot gear? I was angry. Um, I, I felt, I felt uh, in a very negative way about the officer. He didn't speak, he just stood there, didn't move out the way. So I know what that side feels like. One year later, there was a riot at Virginia Beach uh, the same weekend because of that event. I didn't go in 1989. I got so turned off from 88 that I knew I wasn't going back. So I understand from the citizen side. What I believe is that it's my job to teach you and to open the door for you to see what police officers do, how they think, citizens police academies, how do we come to the conclusions that we come to, what are the, the reasons why we may use uh, force against resistance, why do we come with two cars, why do we carry the equipment we carry, what are those things. You can educate the community on those things. When you see it from that perspective, it may, help, uh, it may help you totally understand what it is that we do. Chief Coaches? <clears throat> I'm gonna begin by trying to involve you in our police department, but that's gonna require trust. And I'm gonna have to earn that trust. The trust wasn't lost overnight. It's not gonna be gained back overnight. It's gonna take some time. You know, uh, like most communities, after the murder of George Floyd, we had protests, significant protests. And I remember one of the organizers of the, of the local uh, Black Lives Matter protest that we had, um, she was a high school student. And it was a large protest. And I remember meeting with her uh, ahead of time and said, look, I just want this to be peaceful. I'll answer any questions afterwards. A large protest finished at a park. I, I answered questions. 
And um, then I invited her, we had to remember, this was during uh, COVID, right? So even though we were in protest, we, we were just still doing a lot of things virtually. And I, have a, I had a monthly um, What's Up Wednesday show with the chief on, on virtual, ask, answer questions. So I had her on that show, on, uh, not a show, but uh, Facebook Live. And we talked and answered questions. And then I appointed her to our community action team where we review our policies. And we did that. And then she became our first intern. And to this day, when she comes home from college every summer, she interns at our police department. I can't stress it enough. The co-production of public safety with the community is something our profession was founded on. So where did we lose our way? Okay? And, and we gotta get back to that. And I sincerely think we can. Like I said, trust is complex. It's gonna take time. It's gonna take a lot of hard work. But shame on me if I'm not willing to do it. The next step, as I learned from Eleanor Jenkins in the Cavalier Daily, a finalist will be announced next week. And that's it for the end of this installment of Charlottesville Community Engagement. One more month to go now until the end of the year. And perhaps now it's a time to guess what number we'll get up to by the end of the year. It definitely will not be number 500 because we're well into the weird gravity that comes at the end of the year. And this is the section where I confess that the Men's World Cup is a bit of a distraction. But we're almost past the group stage. Either way, there's plenty of material coming up in the near future. There's a lot to get to, and it may be January before I'm back to a normal schedule. Still, I'm always trying to keep an eye on things and will get a story out as soon as I need to. All of this is made possible by subscribers and listeners, and I'm so grateful for the support of hundreds of people who want this newsletter to continue and develop. They do so through paid Substack subscriptions, as well as through Patreon support. There's also Ting, an internet provider who cares about the community, and they support this newsletter and podcast by matching the initial payment for every Ting subscription, whether that be $5 a month, $50 a year, or $200 a year. Either way, do consider Ting for high-speed internet. If you sign up at a link in the newsletter and enter the promo code COMMUNITY, you will get free installation, a second month for free, and a $75 gift card to the downtown mall. This Friday is Bandcamp Friday. Consider buying a copy of Vraki's Regret Everything. Much of the music in this podcast comes from Vraki. The original theme is by PJ Sykes, and other things come from the fundamental Grang. Any questions? Drop me a line, and thank you for reading or listening. Now back to the end of the Group C. I gotta go. Bye. Bye.